favorite songs that we sing here at Connect Church. Actually, I'm the one that picked this song to put it into our playlist, just so we're clear. I get the credit for this one. Part of the reason I like it is because it's so catchy, right? It's just a fun song to sing. It's also got an amazing bass line. I play the bass guitar, so I'm always examining the bass lines. Shout out to Candace for always thumping so well on these things. But listen, the reason that I like this song most of all is because it communicates a message that you and I need to be reminded of every single day. And the message is this, that battle that you're facing. And hey, look, we're all facing a battle. We have battles with people. We have battles with money. We have battles with mental illness. We have battles with culture. We have battles even with our faith sometimes. That battle that you're facing, you don't have to face it alone. That's what this song is all about. Hey, let me introduce you to our new series. It's called Worship Playlist, or Songs for the Battle is really what I'm subtitling it. And the idea is every single Sunday in August, we're going to take one of these songs that we sing together as a part of our worship uh, service and we're going to break it down. We're going to kind of explode this song into pieces and talk about it almost line by line. And what I'm hoping is that you guys are going to engage with our worship songs in a way that maybe you haven't in the past, that maybe you'll come to value our musical worship maybe a little bit more than you have. What I want you to leave here knowing is that these songs are not just dope beats and pretty melodies, okay? These songs actually, if you'll let them, these songs have the power to teach you as much about your faith as any sermon I will ever preach. Do you guys realize that? That's why we do musical worship. We do it because music teaches. Throughout the centuries, Christians have used music to communicate the truths of our faith and to pass them down in ways that will stick. You guys know when you set something to music, the, the truth, the facts become sticky. That's why you sing your ABCs. If you just had to memorize the ABCs, it would be a lot harder. You put it to music and suddenly a four-year-old can get it. There is theology present in every single song that we sing here at Connect, and I want to help you see some of that theology. Yeah. Now, this particular track is called Battle Belongs, and it's by an artist named Phil Wickham. And as we sing through this song today, you're going to notice particularly in the verses that they follow a very distinct pattern. We'll put this pattern on the screen. We'll put the lyrics on the screen anyway, so you can see this. You're going to notice on one hand, we find our view, our perspective of life's difficulties, the battles that we face, how they seem in our mind and from our limited scope and purview. And then our perspective is contrasted by God's perspective, how he sees those very same battles that you and I might be fighting. So consider these lines. When all I see is the battle, God, you see my victory. Yeah. I see a battle. I see a fight. I see a potential for loss. God already sees the victory that's coming. When I see the mountain, you see the mountain move. We see the hurdle. We see the obstacle. We think, how am I ever going to have a breakthrough? God says, I've already got it worked out. Just trust me. When all I see are the ashes. Hey, you know, ashes are what's left when something is burned, when it's consumed, when it's lost, when all I see are the ashes, God sees the beauty that can rise from those ashes. Hey, the best one of all. When all I see is a cross, God, you see an empty tomb. When I see death and despair, when I see what looks like a loss, God sees how he's going to turn that difficult thing, that evil thing. He's going to take it and he is going to turn it for good.
I love the way that the, verse, uh, the verses of this song compare and contrast my perspective and God's perspective. Like, have you ever noticed how when life gets tough, we have a tendency to focus on worst possible outcomes? Oh, come on now. I know I'm not the only one guilty of this. I do it and you do as well. I have no doubts. When life gets hard, when we're facing a battle, when we're in a situation and we don't know what's going to happen, our mind immediately goes to the worst case scenarios time and time again. So like your boss emails you on a Tuesday. And he says, hey, I really want to set up a meeting for this Friday, okay? I got some stuff I want to talk to you about. What do you do? For the rest of the week, you're freaking out. You're like, okay, think, what did I do wrong? How did I do something that made him angry? How am I going to pay rent? Because I'm clearly getting fired. Why else would he call me in here? Our minds immediately go to the worst case scenario. You get a call from your doctor and the doctor says, hey, last time you were in, we noticed something on one of your tests. We'd love for you to come in for a few more diagnostics. Probably nothing. Don't worry about it. But we just want to cover all our bases. So why don't you come in? You hang up the phone and what does your brain do? It's cancer. I know it's cancer. It's all over. Worst case scenarios. Maybe you have a a long-term relationship, somebody that you love, you thought you were going to be together forever, and that relationship, it breaks and it falls apart. And I don't know about you, but I just see again and again in folks a tendency for the mind to go to the worst possible outcomes. In that that broken relationship uh, situation, people will say, well, I guess I'm just never going to have true love. Our minds always go to the worst case scenarios. I see a mountain. I see a battle. I see ashes. I see a cross. And I can't imagine how anything good can come out of that. But God, he has a a perspective that we don't have. He sees things differently than you and I do. And the reason is because God has a sovereign plan for every hurdle difficulty and battle that you and I might face in life. Do you know what sovereign means? It's one of the characters and qualities of God. Sovereign means he is fully in control. Are you with me? God is always sovereign in our situations. Your life feels out of control, but you serve a God who is always in control. He has a a sovereign plan for every single situation. So when you see a battle, God sees a victory already mapped out. When you have a mountain in your way, God has the breakthrough ready. In darkness, he provides light. In ashes, he exchanges beauty. He will even transform something as horrific as a cross, a crucifixion. And he will turn it into victory according to his good and sovereign plan. You know, there's this great example of a literal battle that's fought in the Old Testament. It's in the book of Judges, chapter number seven. And it illustrates this thing that we're talking about, this truth that we're discovering in the verses of Battle Belongs. I I really want to read it, but let me set it up before we get to the verses. Okay, Judges chapter number seven tells the story of the ancient Israelite people. This is like 3,000 years ago. It's a long time. And uh, they are living in the promised land after they've been freed from slavery in Egypt, but they're really struggling. In fact, there is a neighboring people group called the Midianites. And the Midianites keep attacking the Israelites. They're a larger army. They're more sophisticated, militarily speaking, and they keep invading and conquering. In fact, Judges chapter number six tells us that things are so bad 
for the Israelites that live on the border of the settlement, that they abandon their towns and flee to live in mountains, in mountains and in caves so that they won't be captured and enslaved by these foreign invaders. So it's during this time, God raises up a man named Gideon. You might've heard about Gideon before. He's got a, a pretty important part of this, uh, a, a pretty important role to play in this part of scripture. And God raises up Gideon to lead the Jewish army against the Midianites. So we're gonna pick up Gideon's story in Judges 7. Listen to these verses. We've got them on the screen so you can read along as well. The armies of Midian were camped north of Gideon and his army in the valley near, near the hill of Moreh. The Lord said to Gideon, Gideon, you have too many warriors with you. If I let all of you fight the Midianites, then the Israelites will boast to me that they have saved themselves by their own strength. Therefore, tell the people, whoever is timid or afraid may leave this mountain and go home. So 22,000 of the soldiers went home, leaving only 10,000 who were willing to fight. Oh, wow. uh, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> uh, God, I, you know, you're God, you're sovereign. I, I get it, I get it. But don't you know that if you're going to go to battle, you want as many soldiers as you can possibly have? You, do, you don't want to lose a third of your army, right? Right? Hmm. But the Lord told Gideon, there are still too many. Bring them down to the spring, and I will test them to determine who will go with you and who will not. When Gideon took his warriors down to the water, the Lord told him, okay, here's what I want you to do. You're going to divide the men into two groups. In one group, put all those who stoop down and cup water in their hands and lap it up like dogs with their tongues. Kind of a weird imagery, but he says, those that scoop into their hand, put them on one side. And then in the other group, put all those who uh, kneel down and drink with their mouths directly in the stream. Now catch this. The scripture tells us here in verse six, only 300 of the men drank from their hands. All the others got down on their knees and drank with their mouths from the stream. So at this point, you're probably thinking, okay, God's going to say these 300, you don't need them. They're no good. They're not going to do you any good. They're cannon fodder at best. Why don't you send them home? And that'll leave you with 9,700 other soldiers to go fight this battle, right? No. <laughs> The Lord told Gideon in verse 7, it is with these 300 men that I will rescue you and give you victory over the Midianites. Send all the others home. So Gideon collected the provisions and ram's horns of the other warriors, and he sent them all home, but he kept these 300 men with him. Hey, what do you think Gideon was feeling in that moment? Like if he hadn't been thinking about worst case scenarios before, you can imagine that when God cuts his army by more than 90%, he's like, oh, there, this, this is not going to work, God. There is no way 300 can defeat thousands. We're in real trouble here, God. We're going to be captured. Our country is going to be destroyed. Our wives and children are going to be taken as slaves. Why would you do it this way? It probably, it felt very tempting for Gideon to face the worst case scenarios in this situation. But hear me now, we're going to see that God had a reason for doing this. More importantly, God had a plan for what he was doing. And God has a plan for every one of us. No matter the battle that we're facing, no matter the enemy we might be fighting, internal, external, spiritual, earthly, it doesn't matter. God has a plan, a sovereign purpose that he's trying to work out in every single difficult situation that you might find yourself in. Now, before we talk about the plan, our worship team is actually gonna come back and they're gonna lead us in the next few choruses and verses of this song. You're gonna stay in your seat, but we're gonna encourage you to meditate, think about the 
the lyrics and what we're singing in light of what we've just read. Exactly. See, the verses of this song, they remind us that, yes, we are not responsible for the outcome of the battle. God is the one who is responsible for how things are going to turn out. But that doesn't, like, alleviate the fact that you are in a battle, right? That there are difficulties that you are facing and that you have a role to play in whatever battle it is you might find yourself in in uh, this week, all right? So um, I think what we want to we catch here is that the key is that although I might need to fight, and we're going to see that you do need to fight your battles, the way that I fight is going to make the difference. Yeah. That I'm not going to fight my battles according to the flesh. I'm going to fight my battles according to the spirit. Yeah. Yeah. That I am going to approach this situation from God's perspective, not my perspective. Right. I'm going to follow in the ways of my Lord and Savior Jesus and not in the ways of the culture around me. This is exactly what Gideon had to learn as the battle kicks off in verse number 15. Let's look at this passage. Gideon shouted to his men, regulators, mount up. Sorry, I'm a 90s kid. It's not going to be my last 90s reference for the day. I'm just telling you straight up. It's not. Okay, Gideon shouted to his men, gather up. For the Lord has given you victory over the Midianite hordes. He divided the 300 men into three groups, and he gave each man a ram's horn and a clay jar with a torch in it. Then he said to them, keep your eyes on me. When I come to the edge of the camp, do just as I do. As soon as I and those with me blow the ram's horn, blow your horns too, all around the entire camp, and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. Now, it was just past midnight, after the changing of the guard, when Gideon and the hundred men with him reached the edge of the Midianite camp. Suddenly, they blew their ram's horns and broke their clay jars. Then all three groups blew their horns and broke their jars. They held the blazing torches in their left hands and the horns in their right hands, and they all shouted for the Lord and for Gideon. Each man stood at his position around the camp and watched 
as all the Midianites rushed around in a panic. They shouted as they ran to escape. When the 300 Israelites blew their ram's horns, the Lord caused the warriors in the camp to fight against one another with their swords. And those who were not killed fled to the furthest parts of the region. Man, do you understand what these verses are telling us? Like, this is so good and so crazy. Gideon is about to go into a literal battle in which he is severely outnumbered. Remember, he had 32,000 soldiers at his disposal. By the time he gets to the camp, he's got 301 people in his army. He's going up against another group that has thousands, maybe even tens of thousands, probably tens of thousands in their army at the same time. They have swords and bows and arrows and chariots and horses. Those are like ancient battle tanks, you know? Like in every key metric, Gideon is outmatched. He's outclassed. He's outnumbered. He doesn't have what it takes. In fact, if you were paying attention, you notice that Gideon takes his sad little 300-man army into this war carrying trumpets and torches. He doesn't even have a sword with him, apparently. Can you imagine going to fight like a literal Braveheart-style battle and you're carrying a kazoo and a candle? You know what I mean? (laughs) That's what's going on here. He's like, forget in. You know, it's like, uh, from any earthly perspective, the battle should have been over right there. From any human vantage point, Gideon was in a world of trouble. And all of his soldiers were going to lose their life in that moment. But of course, that's not what happened. God had a sovereign plan for what he wanted to do. In fact, we're told, we read in a moment ago, that God specifically and intentionally chose to send Gideon into this battle with fewer soldiers than he needed and without the proper equipment so that when they won the battle, God would get all the glory. They wouldn't say, nobody would say, well, you know, the Israelites, they're just really good swordsmen, man. They train all the time. And so it's not really surprising that 300, like this is Sparta. You know, it's like, we're not going to claim that the soldiers were the reason. We're going to say it's the God of the soldiers that made all the difference. He is the reason that they experience victory. In fact, later on, Gideon is going to very specifically tell the Israelites, don't get confused. Don't get it twisted. It wasn't Gideon that led you to victory. It was the Lord who delivered you on this day. This is so instructive for us, you guys. This really should help you because when we realize that the battle is ultimately God's, then I don't carry the weight of the responsibility for how the battle turns out. That doesn't mean that I disengage and I do nothing, all right? We don't just sit on our hands and play good Christians until God shows up and does a miracle. No, we're going to engage. We're going to participate in what God is doing. There is even a call in the scripture for those of us that are New Testament Christians, Jesus followers, to fight against evil, to confront things that are wrong in our world. But here's the key. We are not going to fight the way the world fights. We are not going to do what the rest of the world does in order to accomplish our objectives. Political power is not the tool that God has given us. Violence is not the way that Jesus has called us to transform the world. We are going to choose God's way, not the world's way. So rather than uh, swinging a sword, you're going to sing a song. 
Because a song has power that a sword does not. Right. Listen, a sword can kill a soldier, but a song can defeat an army. Come on. When God's in it, even something as crazy as a song can turn the tide of a battle. Rather than arguing until you're blue in the face, well, let me tell you what I think, Facebook friend. <laughs> hey, we're going to pray. We're going to yeah. pray. We're going to pray for that person. We're going to pray for that person. Man, listen, when I have, oh, oh gosh, when we do marital counseling, you know, um, and they're like, listen, my husband, he's, and I'm trying to get him to, you know, it's like, okay, how much have you been praying about this? How, how often have you been praying for him? Oh, well, you know, he doesn't need to be prayed for. He needs to get his mind right. And it's like, well, who's going to get his mind right? <laughs> there is power in the spiritual. And when we engage in the battles of life, only from a human, earthly, physical perspective, then we miss out on the real power right. that God promises to, uh, yes. to us. In fact, we really do forego. We ignore the greatest power, and that is the spiritual power that God gives to people who are committed to living his ways in this world. So rather than freezing in fear, we're going to move forward in faith. Rather than seeking revenge, we are going to seek to bless those who persecute us. This is the way of Jesus. That's what the apostle Paul had in mind. This is, what he, this is exactly what he was thinking about when he said in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 4, we are human, but we don't wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down strongholds and to destroy whatever is false. You want to knock down a stronghold, you don't need a sword, you need a song. You need a prayer. You need faith. You need a sovereign God who already has a good plan for you and for your family and for your workplace and for the community and our world. Yes. This is where we need to be turning our focus and attention to. Rather than trying to fight like the world, we need to take another path. We need to pursue God and his plans above all else. Paul had this in mind when he wrote 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 4. Uh, you know who didn't have this in mind? the eminent philosopher Ice Cube. I told you guys this was not going to be my only 90s reference. My man said, today I didn't even have to use my AK. I got to say, it was a good day. Ah, okay, okay. Now listen, I would agree with Cube that uh, shooting somebody or not shooting somebody is like an, an ingredient of a good day, okay? Like you don't shoot somebody, that's going to make for a good day, okay? But here's the thing. Too many Christians still carry around this kind of mindset. It's like, ooh, I will slap her. Let her say one more thing. Let her say one more thing. And then we get to the end of the day, and we're like, well, at least I didn't. I thought about it. I wanted to, but at least I didn't punch her in the face, okay? <laughs> it's like, all right, all right, all right, all right. Jesus calls us to something different. And if that's the attitude, if that's like our, if immediately we want to turn around and we want to strike and we want to, we want to seek revenge and we want to fight the way the world fights, then I think we really need to pay more attention to the chorus of this song. Notice it says this. So when I fight, I'm going to fight on my knees. And I'm going to fight with my hands lifted high. This is is not a position of aggression. Go, go fight a war. Just get into a fist fight and say, I'm going to keep my hands up the whole time. I'm going to stay on my knees and we'll see what happens. <laughs> this is not a position of aggression. This is not even a position of defense. This is a position of surrender. So what God calls Christians to is surrender. Now listen, he does not call us to the surrender of the evil ways of this world. That's conforming, not surrendering. 
God doesn't call us to surrender to the ways of this world. He calls us to surrender to him. So we might put it like this. With God, the key to victory is surrender. With God, the key to victory is surrender. You need victory in your life. You're facing a battle. It's an interpersonal thing. It's an internal thing, whatever it might be. If you are in a battle, then I can tell you with full confidence, because I've experienced it by doing it the right way and by doing it the wrong way, that if you need victory, you will find victory in surrender. Now, this is a paradox. It's confusing. This isn't the way the world works. If you're going to fight and you want victory, then you better be stronger and faster and better equipped than the other person, right? Not in God's economy. Not the way his people operate. Instead, we surrender to him, to his plans, to his ways. We're obedient to his commands. And when we do that, we have the power to see miraculous, world-changing things happen all around us. Hey, some of us are not experiencing this level of intervention from God because we're still trying to fight on our feet. We're still trying to fight with guns in hand or arguments in mind. We tend to think that the keys to victory are being richer, being more attractive, being better, whatever it might be. But in God's economy, again and again, we see this in the scriptures. It's not just like, oh, there's this one place in Judges 7 where God showed up. No, again and again in the Bible we find that those who surrender to God see the greatest victories in their lives. This is exactly what Jesus did for us. And this is what, like, if if we call ourselves followers of Jesus, then we've got to follow Jesus. Are you with me? Like, that's what it means, okay? So, like, I think of a, 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 a... a particular example, and then I want to broaden it just a little bit. So we read in the scriptures and in the gospels that on the night Jesus was betrayed, Roman guards show up, they try to throw on the handcuffs, and one of Jesus' disciples, a kid named Peter, he decides, oh, Jesus is going to need some help in this victory. And if we're going to fight the world, then we got to fight on the world's terms, right? We got to fight the way the world fights if we're going to win this battle. So the Bible tells us that Peter, the fisherman, he pulls a sword from his belt and he's like, for Jesus and the Lord. And he swings and he tries to attack the Roman guards. Jesus rebukes him and he says, Peter, put your sword away, man. People who live by the sword are going to die by the sword. That's not how I've come to wage war. In fact, what Jesus is communicating in this moment is that he's going to bring victory. But the victory is not going to come through a revolution. It's going to come through a resurrection. Jesus is going to die. It's going to look like he gets defeated. It is going to look like he has surrendered to the enemy. It's going to seem like they are the ones who have conquered. But on Resurrection Sunday, Jesus is going to show us that an empty tomb is more powerful than a cross with a man hanging on it. Same is true for us as well. Nowhere is this better or more true than when it comes to our salvation with God. Do you realize that? This idea that all we have to do is surrender is key to our faith. This is what it means to be a Christian. We surrender. In Ephesians chapter number two, we're told that salvation is not a reward for the good things that we've done. Salvation is not like a reward. God's like, oh, you've been good this week. Okay, here's my love. No. The scripture says that it is a free gift 
that is given to us by God's grace and mercy. And in fact, the verse goes on to echo something that we just read in Judges chapter 7. It says, he does it this way so that no one can boast. So that no one can say, well, of course God had to love me. I'm one of the good ones. Nah, we're all the bad ones. And when we surrender to God and say, oh God, I've made a mess of this. I'm on my knees. My hands are lifted high. I'm not running from you anymore. I'm not fighting against you anymore. I am fully and completely surrendered to you. When you do that, the Bible says God floods your life with his light, with his salvation, and with his purpose. Our entire faith is built around the idea that, yeah, there's a battle to be fought. There's a battle in you and me that needs to be fought. But we don't fight it the way the world does. We fight it by surrendering to our almighty God and his sovereign plans. Now, the worship team is going to lead us through the final section of this song. And again, I'm going to have you guys just stay seated and think through the lyrics that we're singing together. Celebrate what God does for us. cultural battles like earth-wide, humanity-wide battles, and man, there are some big ones. But I want you to focus for just a moment on the individual battles that you might be facing this week or this month. What is it that's keeping you up at night? What is it that makes your tummy feel all weird and you got to pop some antacids so that you can deal with it? Who stresses you out? Who are you like, oh, if I never run into them, I'll be happy? Who is that person? Could we just acknowledge it? Because here's the thing. 
you're carrying around that knowledge every single day anyway. Right. It's there with you. It might be, you might be able to shove it way in the back of your mind and not think about it too often. Can I say that's the exact opposite thing of what you should be doing? You shouldn't be burying it away somewhere. You need to surface it. You need to identify it, maybe even confess it so that you can address it. Are you with me? You cannot, you can't fix something that you're not willing to acknowledge. It just, it doesn't work. So I want you to take a moment, really, truly, I want you to think, what's the battle? Who's the battle? <laughs> what is it that I'm facing that is giving me anxiety and fear and making me believe that somehow things are going to go terribly wrong in my life? Could you take a moment, like 10 seconds? You're like, I already got it, man. I'm picturing them. So we've got this battle. You've got one. I've got one probably thinking of different things, but you know, there are going to be some pretty standard themes, recurring issues that all of us are facing. And so what I'll encourage you to do secondly is to confess, confess. So we've identified, we've acknowledged the battle that we're facing. Now let's confess, God, the battle belongs to you. Like this week in your prayer time, as you're praying over this situation, which you should be, we all should be, when we're thinking about this, when we're talking to God about it, we should confess and remind ourselves, God, this battle belongs to you. Yeah. I mean that literally, guys. Confess, God, the battle belongs to you. In fact, let's say it together. Why not? Okay, here we go. God, this battle belongs to you. All right, one more time since now we understand what's happening. God, this battle belongs to you. It's not mine. I know I've got a part I know there are ways that you want me to handle and approach and deal and all of that, but ultimately, you're the one that's responsible for bringing about victory. So thank you for taking that load off of me. I don't have to carry that weight around anymore. I don't have to worry about it. I'm just going to focus on doing the one little thing my commander told me to do, and I'll trust that his battle plan is going to work out. So we acknowledge, we confess, and then, hey, listen, we do fight. Christians do fight. Christians fight in the ways of Jesus for the things of Jesus, okay? So if you've got to fight a battle against someone or something in your life this week, then I don't want you to resort to arguments, don't want you to resort to sarcasm or gossip or slashing tires or whatever it might be, okay? Instead, pray about it. We've talked about it. We've talked about that. Hey, sing about it. Sing about it. The whole reason that we decided to do this series, and um, okay, if, if what I'm about to say applies to you, I don't know that it applies to you, okay? So this is not like, I'm not like, yeah, I'm talking to you back there, sister. No, I, I don't know who this applies to, okay? But here's what we've noticed. We've noticed that there are a fair number of people that hang out in the lobby and then show up as the music's winding down. Now, you don't show up right when Dan gets up and starts preaching because that would be too obvious. So you come in during the final chorus of the last song. You slip in, you sit down. And I get it. For some of you, worship really isn't your jam. You don't really... Some of you don't even like music. I think you need to see a therapist. But anyway, like uh, for some of you, worship is weird. There's not any other point in your life in which you stand shoulder to shoulder with strangers and sing unless you're going to a concert at the Saddle Dome. So to do this Sunday after Sunday in a small room where somebody might hear your voice, like it's just kind of strange. I get that. I get that. But you are missing out on one of the greatest benefits of Sunday morning. Yeah. Yeah. You really are. I won't even get into how hard our band works to put together this music for us. I won't even get into that, but they do. Instead, I want you to understand just how valuable and important this is. Do you know that musical worship has been a part of Christian services for thousands of years, going all the way back to the very beginning? 
Like there's never been a period in church history in which we don't sing. Why? Because singing has the power to encourage us, to educate us, to bring us in line with God, to bring us into unity with one another. There is so much value in what we do, musically speaking, on Sunday morning. And so I'm going to challenge you guys, as lovingly as I can, don't skip worship because you're getting an incomplete meal. You say, oh, well, Dan, you know, I mean, like the word is the meat and that's what I need. Listen, you need a balanced diet, my friends. You need it all. And without it all, then you are going to be spiritually deficient in the same way that somebody that never ate their green beans would not be, they would be nutritionally deficient, okay? So when, when you are facing a battle, like one of your first responses should be to go to a worship playlist. And it doesn't have to just be like on a Sunday morning. Do you know, like every song that we sing here, we have a Spotify playlist for, and we make it public. We'll post it this week on our social media channel so you can follow it. And anytime you want to relive one of these songs or you're feeling down and you need to pick me up, this is your chance to do it. In fact, there's this incredible, oh man, I was wondering if I was going to teach this whole passage later. I don't know, but I'll give you a, 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 an appetizer to keep that meal metaphor going. Um, <laughs> There is a time in which there's a king named Saul in the Old Testament, and he's going through a deep depression. In fact, he's demonically afflicted, but anyway, he's just having a rough time. And the Bible says that a kid named David shows up. Yeah, the same David from David and Goliath. And he plays a harp, and the music soothes Saul's soul and causes the demon to flee. Now listen, we don't use harp music here on Sunday. We got something better, okay? So if a harp can send a demon away, imagine what a bass guitar guitar can do in your life, all right? I I just want you guys to understand, there is so much value, so much power inside of musical worship that when we ignore it or we don't really engage, maybe we show up and we just kind of stand here with our hands in our pocket. You don't have to lift your hands. You don't have to dance. I don't even care about that. But do you engage? Do you engage? Because the way that we fight our battles is on our knees, their hands lifted high, singing a song, shouting hallelujahs to God. We're going to bless the people that we really want to curse. Oh, man, Jesus talked a lot about this now. The world's way is to curse people that curse us. Jesus' way is to bless people that curse us. I don't like that. I wish he didn't say that, but he did. And he's my Lord and master, so I do what he says. That's how it works. And then ultimately we surrender. Oh, here's another one. I, I almost skipped right over this. What about sleep? Huh? We talked about this in our Sabbath series not so long ago. Like if you believe that the battle's God's, he's got a good plan, he's going to work it out. Man, you ought to be sleeping like a baby. Christians ought to get the best yeah. sleep on the planet. Yeah. We surrender to our good God and his plan. And then lastly, I'll just say this. Encourage yourself. Remember what Jesus said in John chapter number 16, verse 33. He said this, I've told you these things. And it refers to a specific teaching that he's given the disciples here in in the uh, gospel of John. But really, it applies to everything Jesus said. He says, I've told you all of these things so that in me you have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart because I have overcome the world. God already has the victory in your marriage. God already has the victory for your children. He already has the victory laid out in your career. He already has the victory laid out for the cultural issues and battles and wars that we're all fighting. God has all of that mapped out. The question is whether or not the people in his army are going to trust his direction, whether we're going to fight the way that he calls us to fight, and we are going to pursue the goals, objectives that he calls us to. 